This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got? All right, well, today we are going to be looking at something that we've been talking about that we were going to do for a while, right, back and forth. Other people have said, hey, when are you going to get to this? So we finally decided, let's do it. So we're going to be looking at the um, the Forgotten War, right? So yep. we're not forgetting it anymore. So we're looking to be looking at the uh, Korean War. And I know people are Korean conflicts. I know it's not a war. People are going to be talking about it. it's not actually a war. Yes, we're aware of that. We'll get to that. We'll talk about that. But yeah, we're going to be looking at the Korean conflict, the Korean War from 1950 to 1953. And yes, technically still going on today. We'll get into all that. It's a war though. Stuff. Yes. It's a war. Well, people are dying. People are fighting, but weren't the, UN, the U.S. wasn't technically at war. Which actually starts a pretty bad precedent going forward, which we'll yes. get to. All right. So we're, we're talking about the Korean War. And I actually learned a lot. And I teach this like every year. I've taught this for years, uh, as you have, I'm sure. But I never really like looked into the intricacies of this. Well, why not? From like the global perspective. Well, dude, when you I teach mean, AP, you're doing, you're doing Korean your, War. You're doing a disservice, man. Dude, Korean War and AP teaching that for AP is yeah, it's, literally it's like, one it's class for AP. Even World War II is like a question. Yeah. No, no, like it's, Korean it's, War is literally like forty-five minutes. Yeah. That's all I have time for. And yeah. I know all the stuff there's to know to it, but like now when I sort of like deeply researching into like the origins, and you know, dating back to like 1910 and the Japanese takeover, I never really, you know, I mean, I knew about the Japanese takeover, but I never really read into it. So, this, I mean, I learned a lot doing this research that. uh you know, you're right. I'm doing a disservice to my students because my curriculum wants me to only horrible, spend 40 horrible. minutes. Nonetheless. Anyway, so just so we're on the same page, uh, this is actually referred to in, by different names. I didn't know this, uh, depending where you are in the world. So in South Korea, the war today is taught and referred to simply as the 625 war, the 625 war, which is uh, reflecting the date of when it commenced, which was uh, June 25th. Right. And then in North Korea, the war is referred to and taught apparently because, you know, North Korea, we don't know. But apparently it is taught as the Fatherland Liberation War. I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Sometimes also I heard it called the uh, War of American Aggression. Yeah, I could see that. Um, And by us uh, in the United States and in most of the English speaking um, world, it's known simply as the either Korean War or the Forgotten War. Yeah, it, it gets it gets that forgotten war, particularly in American history. I'd say because you have World War II before it, which is World War II, right? Indeed. And then if in American history you have Vietnam, which is a much more influential time period in American history. So you have this war kind of sandwiched in between the two, which is one reason why it's called the Forgotten War or whatever, because it kind of gets lost in the middle of that the social upheaval of Vietnam and then the the massive amount of history and global conflict of World War II. But this could have really easily have snowballed into World War III. Remember, this happens only five years after World War II ended. Yep. And at this point, both Soviet Union and the United States have atomic weapons. Like- have nuclear weapons. And that's probably what, I guess we can get into the discussion right now, that's probably why it didn't snowball into World War III. Like, you, it really was ready to. It could have. But a lot of historians argue, and you can, I, can, I can see that side of the argument, is that the deterrent here, I'm not saying they're a good thing, but the, the deterrent of nuclear weapons kind of slow things down a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think the number one thing, and we'll get to this a little more further later on, but the sheer fact that 
the United States fires one of its most decorated generals to avert going into an atomic conflict. You know, like that shows a little bit that each nation, especially specifically for the United States, is very much like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. Like this got a little too close. So yeah, I think what we're going to do back once they start. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what we're going to do is uh, we're going to quickly get into um, some of the stuff that I actually research a lot more in this case, too. It's just the early rule and how this came about, the division of Korea and what happened beforehand. And then we'll get into, um, you know, 625 and basically the start of the war. We'll get into the U.S. or rather we should say the U.N. involvement because the United States, this is not a United States war. This is a, no, United it's a U.N. War. police action, right? Yep. Technically, the U.N. police action. Although ninety percent of all UN forces were American forces, yeah, and they were we, they were the ones doing most of the fighting, most yeah. of the supplies and stuff. But it was yeah. technically a UN force, yes. Yeah. Just to get us started, essentially based on this, this research, and if you guys look this up, initially Japan is very isolationist. This is eighteen hundreds, and then they they're kind of forced to become more you know internationalist, I guess, by the United States when yeah, the US, Paris, right? we all know yep, about that. forces them to trade. Um, with the world, but essentially Japan starts to really grow its empire and flex a little bit. And what really is the pinnacle of this in 1904, 1905, they fight a war against Russia, which is the Russo-Japanese war. And no one was giving Japan any shot whatsoever that it would win a war against mighty Russia. Well, obviously we know this, they won. So after the Japanese won the Russia-Japanese war, um, it is during this time that they kind of take over Korea as a protectorate initially, and then they finally annex it in 1910 with the Japan-Korea Annexation Treaty. So Korea belongs to Japan. It is their colony, you might say. And they ruled it for about 35 years until yep. after the end of World War II. And then yep. the U.S. and the Soviet Union divide Korea. They and do. they both have two zones of occupation, and it is divided where it still is divided today, the 38th parallel. This is an interesting thing. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, when they were actually thinking about dividing this, so again, a lot of intricacies here, but Japan, after the dropping of the second Tommy weapon, it's very obvious Japan is going to surrender. World War II ends. Well, within three days after dropping the weapon, uh, the atom second atomic weapon, where it's obvious that Japan is going to surrender, Russia declares war on Japan to, um, quote unquote, help us out. And right away, what they do is they invade Manchuria, and start racing towards Korea. So supposedly this is, you know, the good old Uncle Joe Stalin helping us out and he's invading and fighting against the Japanese. But everyone knows that Japan is done. Like there is nothing to fight for. There's, here there's nothing like, yeah, they're not going to do so, anything. Exactly. Yeah. So what Soviet Union is doing is they're, they're trying to land grab at this point. So it is very much I, when I looked at this, it was interesting. Um, and I stuck out to me because it happened on August 10th, which is my birthday. But um. Uh-huh. I know you have these two U.S. colonels, right, that are assigned basically to divide Korea into Soviet and U.S. occupation zones, knowing that the United States armies in the Pacific are so stretched thin from the island hopping campaign, they might not make it to Korea in time. Meanwhile, they know that the Soviets are basically rushing through to get all this land. So knowing that Japan no longer controls this, Japan is you know, going to be taken over even for a time by the United States. Um, as a you know military occupation, these guys decide on the 38th parallel because it's actually a little bit further north. So they were nervous that like if they didn't make it in time, they hoped that Stalin would honor the idea of them being together 
and he would stop at the 30th parallel, even though it was a little bit above. He could have probably taken all of Korea. Of course. He did. Actually, they got there three weeks beforehand. So the Russians got through Korea to the 30th parallel, and then they waited for three weeks for the U.S. forces to catch up from the bottom. And at that point, again, we're still friends, right? So at that point, it's decided, all right, it's cool. We're going to divide this very much like we did Germany, and this is going to be... Um, a temporary division occupation of Korea into North Korea and South Korea. What we should also mention at this point is that what you have is you have Kim Il-sung is basically a communist leader in Korea during the World War II and overall Japanese rule and occupation. And he kind of becomes like a national hero for a lot of Koreans. And even though he's communist, he's the one that kind of fought the Japanese in Korea and in Manchuria. Yeah, because the Japanese were not, um, if you know anything about history, they're not exactly the uh, most... They're not the good guys. Yeah, at this time, they're definitely not the most civil of of, uh, overlords, I guess you could say. And they definitely look down on Koreans at this time. It's uh, That's a whole other, you know, thing to talk about. But um, yeah, anyone who is fighting against the Japanese and fighting off Japanese um, oppression, they're going to become here. They're going to become heroes. They're going to become icons, and that's basically what happens there. He winds and, up becoming. Be careful what you ask for, but yeah, eventually, right? Um, and so, essentially, you have the U.S. and Soviet Union have this joint commission in December of 1945, and they agree at this Moscow conference that they're going to grant independence to Korea after a five-year like trustship, right? trusteeship, I guess. It was not necessarily popular with the Koreans because the Koreans are like, wait, like we were just occupied for 30 years by the Japanese. You guys came out of nowhere and now you're trying to tell us that we're not going to become independent for another five years? No, 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 no. Like that's not how it's going to work. So you have a lot of strikes that um, kind of break out throughout Korea that are, these people are unhappy, not just with the Soviets, but they're unhappy with the Americans. Like, why are you? No, either one there. Yeah. They said, okay, Japan's gone. We don't need your, we, we don't, yeah, they don't want anybody there basically. Yeah, and that that's just going to give rise to even further tension, and then you have all the Cold War tension. That like this happens in 1945, right? By 1948, yeah. the the two occupation zones are basically sovereign states, right? You have the socialist yep. state, yep. which becomes known as a DPRK or the Democratic Republic, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. That's what we mm-hmm. call North Korea. Um, was established in the north under the totalitarian um, communist leadership, right? Of Kim, Kim Il Sung, yeah. Right? Then the capitalist state was in the Republic of Korea, which is South Korea, and, and this was a little bit different. And these two new governments both claimed that they're legit, and neither one recognized the other. Yep. And, and Sigmund Rhee, that was the that yep. was the U.S. Yep. based founder president yeah. of South and Korea. Neither one also takes the agrees that the thirty eighth parallel is a permanent border. So that's a yep. big thing to remember going forward: is they both recognize themselves as a legit ruler of Korea. Yep. They're not calling themselves South. They're not calling themselves North. Yep. And they say the 30th parallel, that's not a permanent border. It's, we're going to unite everything. And it's good that you mentioned that it was 48 because it, by 48, Soviet Union withdraws completely from Korea. And by all U.S. troops actually leave by 49. So we kind of just like leave Korea behind. But by this point, by 48, Soviet Union and the United States are totally fully, you know, amidst Cold the Cold War. Cold War. Yeah, we now it. hate each yeah. other. So... The fact that you have Kim Il-sung, who's in the North, is very much supported by uh, – he's a communist. I mean, he was always a communist, and you know that's kind of how he fought as a communist against the Japanese. So he's very much supported by um, Soviet Union and Stalin. And meanwhile, Syngman Rhee, who we are supporting in the South, actually proves to be a terrible person. I don't know if he like, looked into this, this guy, but like terrible, actually. 
Yes, yes. Um, that's going to be an incoming theme you're going to see throughout this war too. Is both sides really wanted to control power and want to control the other? So both sides do commit um, atrocities. There was a many. There's a couple early in his presidency. Early on his presidency, he had a government put down of a communist uprising right in um, yep. Jitsu Island. Right, that's there was what it was. One, yeah. yeah, there was there. He had another one in um, that was known as the. Bodo League massacre were committed against suspected communist sympathizers. Hundred thousand, right? Yeah, at least a hundred thousand people dead. So, um, and he was present during the outbreak of the Korean War, obviously. And it was a lot. He actually refused to sign the armistice agreement that ended the war. Um, yeah. He wanted. And this he is wanted, a good guy. This is the quote unquote how we're packaging this, this for the American we're backing, public. This is what we're backing. Yeah, he he wanted the Prince to be reunited by force. Yep, the so, South Korean yeah. guy. So Syngman Rhee, def- I mean. Seriously, jailed, assassinated all his political opponents, killed hundreds of thousands of communist sympathizers throughout South Korea. This guy was by no means a good guy. You know what I mean? But the yeah, fact he, that he, we see him as the anti-communist, you have to kind of, you know, well, sell it. He was. He was anti-communist, so he had to be good. Remember, this is when yeah. communism was the worst thing you could be. So, I mean, his own people rebelled against him, even in the... Um, even later on in the sixties, he had yeah. he had to be flown out, and he, the CIA flew him out to Honolulu. That's where he eventually died Nuts, in nineteen sixty-five. They had to get him out of there, but he was reelected. Nuts. In March of nineteen sixty, he came back to power again. But yeah, he just was. There was just a lot of uh, a lot of strife with him. You know, it wasn't exactly the uh, so the, the dove leadership that you know right? sometimes they get pointed out to be. When I started looking into this as well, I noticed that the fighting itself actually took place for many years before 1950, the official start of the war and invasion of South Korea by North Korea. They had a lot of border skirmishes. Um, They said about it, like 10,000 North and South Korean soldiers were killed fighting before the war ever began. But then what happens is, this is kind of a side note, but there's a Chinese civil war happening nearby. And essentially, in the Chinese civil war, you have the communist forces of Mao fighting against the democratic forces. Long story short, Mao wins the Chinese civil war, making China um, a communist nation. This is important for a couple of reasons. One, because a lot of North Korean communists actually helped and fought for the Liberation Army in China. And this is something that is kind of viewed as the beginning of a really good friendship between Mao's government and the North Korean communist government as well. And also this is important because of the fact that the United States is kind of, President Truman particularly, is viewed as the guy that let China slip away. Like communism is Korea. That's one reason why Korea and then obviously Vietnam are going to become what they do. Is because he thought he, he, Truman's being blamed for losing China to the communists, and they're worried about other parts of Asia falling. Then all of Asia is going to fall to the communists. Right, that whole domino theory yep. becomes become, comes into effect here. And this yep. Korea is just another example of that. Yep, right. So it's another example of why is the U.S. getting involved here? Well, they're getting involved here really to stop communism, stop the spread of communism, because they yep. see that as the biggest threat to UN secu- uh, U.S. Net security. Right. Yep. So that's where they're yeah, this. Because if you polled most Americans in the 1950s, they didn't even know where Korea is. In fact, most Americans, even in the Korean War, it wasn't really it wasn't really televised. It wasn't really report on as much as what happens, you know, later on with the Vietnam War. It's not televised as much, the Korean War. It's not really known really what's going on quite as much. Really Korean War doesn't come into people's consciousness. We'll get to this later on, but until the TV show MASH. That's yep. really when people start to really and that lasted longer than the actual war did. I did. And I love that show. I actually literally watched that last night. I, my kid, like I said, my 10-year-old watches 
F Troop, Mash, six yeah, million dollar man. He's showing him some crazy stuff, man. You gotta be careful. Like, dude, I, like he honestly, he's like me. He's like stuck in like the you know fifties, sixties over here, and like seventies because Mash is really goes to eighty. But let's get back here. All right, so 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 twenty fifth, right? You want to just get to that? Well, no, hold on. Wait, well, actually, not yet because I didn't I didn't notice either. So Kim apparently Kim from North Korea is trying to seek Stalin's support for the invasion in March of 49, yes. so a year before it happens. And he actually travels to Moscow to meet with Stalin, which he does. And at the time, Stalin does not necessarily think that it's a good idea to, for North Korea to invade South Korea. But Kim is trying to say that the regime, I shouldn't, for the lack of a better word, in the South, the democratic regime, is so violent, it's killing all of these communists that he's like, I think this is the right time to strike and take over, you know, all of Korea as North Korea because of what's being done to communists down South. Um, and at first, sounds kind of like against it. But a few things happen by, you know, from 49 to the spring of 1950, that kind of changed the situation, which makes Stalin call Kim back and be like, all right, we can make this work. First, you have the Mao Zedong secures final victory in China. So China's a communist. Um, second, United States forces actually completely withdraw from Korea. Um, and third is the fact that the Soviet Union finally detonates its first nuclear bomb. So there's that no more atomic monopoly. That they had a nuclear weapon. Yep. So they had, if you know, the United States was going to use something... They at least had that deterrent also. And I think yep. that was probably the big thing. That and the U.S. troops leaving. Like, he's like, yep. well, if they're not going to be there, then we're not going to have to fight them. That's fine, you know? The Soviets actually cracked the codes used by U.S. to communicate with the embassy in Moscow. So they started reading dispatches that convinced Stalin that Korea really did not have much importance or wasn't really significant to the U.S. or significant enough that it would warrant any form of nuclear confrontation. So that's kind of why Stalin had a little more aggressive strategy in Asia. And he's like, you know what? It seems like the U.S. is not willing to use nu nukes again. Yeah. We knew they were, if it was Europe, they were going to use nukes. Right. That's what he said. That's what it was. Asia, it was yeah. in Asia. They weren't. And he got that from these messages. So basically, he gives Kim a permission to attack South Korea after there's one condition that one Soviet Union is never going to directly join the fight because it does not want a war with the United States, open war. And two, they will only Stalin will only give Kim permission to attack South Korea if Mao Zedong agrees that if like poop hits the fan um, and things get really messy in a sense, that it is going to be Mao and China that's going to come to its aid in case things get bad. Yeah, and right, Mao agrees. Russia's not sending ground troops. Yep. Yeah, Russia's not. But it's agreed. If anything goes bad, Mao's going to send the troops. Which right? is bad. All right. So now let's get to it. I mean, I feel like... So everything's said. He's got the blessing of Uncle Joe. Um, it's happening. So so what happens here? Well, that's basically what, you know, on uh, June 25th, 1950, the North Korean military or the Korean People's Army, they cross the border. They drive into South Korea. And um, right away when they do this, you know, they're tearing through everything. United Nations comes in, the Security Council, they denounce the North Korean move as an invasion, and they mm -hmm. authorize um, the United Nations command, and they dispatch forces to Korea to repel it. The Soviet Union was actually boycotting the UN at this time because they were recognizing Taiwan, which is a whole yeah, other- Yeah, that was interesting, right? And China but, was not recognized at all, so they weren't in the China UN either. Well, yeah. So, but also because since the US was recognizing Taiwan, the UN was recognizing Taiwan that angered the Soviet Union, because they're being buddy-buddy with Mao, yeah. obviously. So, um, so neither they, they could, so they, neither one could really support their allies at, at the North Korea Security Council meeting. So, twenty-one uh, countries actually 
of the United Nations eventually contribute to the UN force, like you said, about 90% of which uh, was all the United States military personnel. But after the first two months of the war, the South Korean army was um, really beating everybody up. The United States troops got there very hastily. They weren't prepared. Oh, you mean and the North Korean? North Koreans destroyed us in the first two months. Yeah, they, yeah I'm sorry. The South Korean army and yeah. the American forces were um, basically on the point of defeat in the first two months. They retreated to a small defensive line, right? The, um, like old way at the bottom of the peninsula. Like they were almost literally kicked out. They pushed off the Korean peninsula, yeah. The yeah. Pushan perimeter is what it's known as. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because when Harry Truman got into this, uh, Harry Truman basically, and I quote, he said, if, if we let Korea down, the Soviets will keep right on going and swallow up one place after another. Like this becomes like, like a symbol of this global struggle, right? It's Between East and West. dominant th- theory right there. Yeah, right. Good versus evil, the Cold War. Like we, we can't let Soviets do this, even though it's not the Soviets. Like, But that's the interesting thing is they're already acknowledging, the United States is acknowledging everything's painted in like, as opposed to black and white colors, it's like red versus red, white, and blue. You know what I mean? Like, this is a communist nation invading another communist nation. It is clearly, we all know who the boss here is. It's Soviet Union. And we need to stop this. It's a, it becomes a proxy war. It becomes yeah. a proxy war. We're fighting the Soviets, but not directly, more or less. Yeah. So basically, by the end of summer, President Truman and Douglas MacArthur um, have this like new offensive strategy. So Douglas yeah, MacArthur it, is it, a guy that's... Counter-strike. Counter yep. And Douglas MacArthur, we should also mention, is the guy that at this current moment, Douglas MacArthur is actually the military commander of Japan. So he yeah. is left over at the end of World War II because Douglas MacArthur was kind of in charge of the Pacific um, versus like you have Ike that's kind of in charge of Europe. So Douglas MacArthur, after the war in 45, becomes the military, I wouldn't say dictator, that's a terrible word. It's not a dictator. He's military overseer of Japan. And because he's kind of close in proximity, he's the one that's put in charge by the UN forces to be in control and in charge of the UN um, counter strikes, I guess. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Also, this war is very important, and I often mention this to my students, for the sheer fact that this is what really made you know, Japan this huge economic power later on. By 1980, yeah. you know, when you look at the 80s, it, people were afraid that Japan was taking us over as an economic power and technology, and you have all these cars and electronics. And, but this really starts it because – when the Korean War started, we needed to produce things. We needed to produce like war goods really quickly. But the United States was not willing to convert um, its peacetime economy so quickly Back after World War II. Economy, yeah. right? So they made the war production. They basically did – Korean War did to Japan what World War did II did to us. Like it industrialized yeah, the crap yeah. out of it. They were um, you know, so much closer. They could get the materials there much faster. Absolutely. Um, and from that point forward, Japan's economy has just skyrocketed going forward. 
Um, obviously not so much today, but you know, you know what I mean? Anyway, Douglas MacArthur, new war aims. Um, let's just make this an offensive war. Uh, it was basically a war. We're going to liberate North South Korea from the communists. What happens here, it's kind of interesting. First big success at the Incheon landing, right? I've seen some documentaries about this when I was younger. Which is, which was very risky, but also very impressive because it, it was basically like a, like a hook move, right? They went like around yeah. the army and come they back talk, yeah. around. And yeah, so the, I'm trying to imagine this. Like, if you guys can imagine this, they're on a peninsula, and the United States and South Korean forces are all the way at the bottom of this peninsula. Like, they're, they're about be to be pushed off. Pushed off. Pushed off. So, as opposed to strengthening that position, that defensive position, the U.S. Army, or rather the U.N. Army, I should say, um, loads. An army. Yeah, they load up majority of their army into an amphibious assault force. And they basically take this left hook from the bottom of the peninsula and move majority of the forces to the top of the peninsula. Setting a video game move you were doing like command and conquer. Right. They set up the perimeter and all their forces directly behind the North Korean army. So all of a sudden, North Korean army was about to kick all the Americans out and they just found themselves surrounded. I mean, this was, again, they said this is to this day kind of viewed as an amazing maneuver that's taught in military schools. Yeah. And the fact um, that it works too. Yep. And from that point forward, the North Korean army found itself kind of squeezed, like, wait, what just happened? And it, it everything kind of turns around very quickly. They were, North Korean, they, were, they were pushed back north. They were pushed back north, except the problem is that, and this is where it gets interesting, Douglas MacArthur doesn't stop at the 30th yeah. arrow. They was, he, they were supposed to stop. I think Truman wanted him to stop. He says, drive them out. That's it. Yeah. But they continue to push and UN forces invade North Korea in October of 1950. And they move rapidly towards the Yalu River. And that's what scares China because that's the border with China. Literally, they they go to the border with China. I mean, what do you think is going to happen, right? Yeah. So China said, don't cross that river. And there was a debate whether they would, whether they wouldn't, who knows. But on October 19th, 1950, um, Chinese forces of basically cross and enter the war because they're saying listen america's is gonna they're gonna go through the north and then they're gonna come into china and then you know that's what that's what they're worried about whether that was going to happen or not who knows but the fact that we're keep on going we were supposed to stop at 30th parallel and kept on going who knows so i have the influx of a huge number of soldiers coming in now these chinese soldiers coming in and this forces the un uh forces back from north korea and then you have these different phases known as the first phase, first phase offensive, the second phase offensive. And then these Chinese forces were in South Korea by really late December. And then there's this nonstop battling, right? Back and forth. Yeah. Seoul, the capital, was captured. That's interesting. Yeah, because they kind of, it's a stalemate. I mean, it becomes yeah. a stalemate, right? Yeah. At certain point. Yeah. It's like a war of attrition. And the issue, like what we need to kind of bring up is when you just, you just brought it up with Seoul. So the South Korean capital, Seoul, sits literally just 35 miles from the north yeah, south border. Like it sits 35 miles from the 30th parallel. So it was captured by the North Koreans um, and recaptured. Like it changed hands four times in a period of like a year. Which is crazy. But it was always within that that range of like 50 mile range when they're just like back forth, back forth. It became a war of attrition, really. Um, yeah, really, the, most of the fighting then, although it was fighting on the ground, like b- both fronts got established, then you start seeing, I guess, something that the Korean War becomes pretty famous for, which is the um, the jet fighters, right? The air combat yeah. was yeah. really where it became like this, um, What it was back and forth there, a lot of fighting. And that's actually where you saw air-to-air combat for the first time in history. And then the Soviets were actually fighting, um, that's where Soviet pilots were fighting against American pilots. Well, this is where the infamous MIG alley, remember? Yeah. Like that. 
covertly flew in defense of the Comics Alleys during. Yeah, you had Mig Alley. You had the Sabres versus the Migs and stuff, the mid-air yeah. missile, missile, you know, and all that stuff. This is your Top Gun. This is like your Top Gun before Top Gun. Yeah, it's the prequel to Top Gun. This is interesting, though, because, you know, over Mig Alley, right, which is northwest, basically skies over northwest Korea, uh, the amount of dogfights, there's so many cool documentaries on the History Channel when it's still- These are jet dogfights, too. That's, these are the yep. first jet fighters. First ever, yeah. First jet fighter. You didn't see this yeah. really in World War in World War Two. Yeah, they just missed it. I mean, they just missed yeah, it in World War II. This, I mean, this is also where we start seeing actually, and again, Stalin said Russia's not fighting, but a lot of these jet dogfights were fought by Russian pilots. Yeah. Uh, we know this for a fact. So, you know, it's almost like Stalin's like, all right, well, you know, they're up in the plane, can't really tell, boom. And, you know, and he started sending uh, experienced jet fighting um, pilots to, to fight against Americans. So you actually have Americans fighting against Soviets um, in this particular war. I mean, it, it actually happened. Um, but while this is happening, while these guys are kind of going back and forth, back and forth at the 30th parallel, a um, few things happen. One, the United States continues dropping bombs all over North Korea. Actually, oh, massive, yeah. Yeah. You drop <laughs> bombs, yeah, it's massive. So the United States dropped 635,000 tons of bombs on the North Korean portion of the peninsula compared to 503 pounds, thousand pounds, dropped on the entire Pacific theater of World War II. We dropped more bombs in North Korea in a year than we did in five years or four years over all of the Pacific theater in World War II. Like, that's insane. Um, actually, this says the United States killed an estimated 15% of the population. That's kind of crazy. Meanwhile, I don't know if you saw this, the Korean War is often, this has been, this kind of pops up on MASH all the time, which is, as we mentioned earlier, an awesome show about this. While these guys are fighting in, in these like war of attrition, all within like 50 miles of this border back and forth, uh, Korean winters were like super ridiculously cold. They said yeah. that it would drop as low as 50, negative 54 degrees Fahrenheit. And a lot of the um, North Korean and definitely the Chinese soldiers were not equipped for winter warfare. No. They kind of just very hastily you know, sent them across the border. So they were not equipped uh, for that. They said that the most prevalent injury from um, the Korean War was not being shot. It was actually frostbite. And this is also why mass units or mobile army surgical hospitals were created um, very basically near um, battlefields. These were like new innovations. They were designed to stay as close to the front as possible. So these guys could like take the entire hospital and move it within an hour. Like it was all tense, boom, move, like if need be. But they needed to be really close to every unit mainly because of just the sheer cold, not just, you know, the, the fighting, which was, again, atrocious in itself. Um, all right. So essentially what happens here is our general gets a little sick of this. And General uh, MacArthur says, you know what, forget this. And he comes up with this idea that he's going to fix this. And how does he want to fix this? Well, he wants to basically drop nuclear weapons on China, yep, and on Korea, and just take take them both over. That's what that's his general idea. Now, this was discussed ahead of time. To be fair, as early as uh, December of 1950, um, shortly after the um, like the Chinese intervened, there was talk of right. Let's discuss, and I say let's discuss. Like the U the U.S. and its allies, the U.N. was discussing right. If we're going to use nuclear weapons what scenarios would it take for us to actually use them, right? Yeah. And they're saying in 1950, Truman wasn't even considering it. They had a couple, like if China 
if China agreed not to cross the 30th parallel, then they wouldn't use nuclear weapons. But if they cross the 30th parallel, and it looks like they, then they are going to drop nuclear weapons. So all this. Um, but the U.S. does come, I wouldn't say close, but the closest they get to possibly using it is in 1951. I mean, he has the targets all set up. Yeah, the target stuff, they actually are, are practicing doing bombing runs from Okinawa to North Korea using um, conventional bombs or dumbing nuclear weapons. They have all the parts assembled except for the um, nuclear core is assembled yep. in there. So they are – it's an option. They're, they want to just be ready just in case. Um, one of the um, generals, General Ridgway, actually was authorized to n- use nuclear weapons um, if a major air attack originated outside of Korea. Right, so it's like something like that happened, but the U.S. was also still like kind of hesitant because they knew if they used nuclear weapons, it's going to mean full out war with China, and full out war with China could also lead to full out war with the Soviet Union. Was that something you know again that they were totally willing to um, to risk? So that was kind of the, like the debate there. But if it was up to MacArthur, it's bomb them. Yes, do it. But he also, that's what we have to bring up here too, is that he's not just talking about bombing North Korea. He's actually, some of his targets were in China. Like he was about to nuke China. Like a little crazy. Basically Um, what they were worried about, and this is, to be clear, this is before ICBM. So they're not worried about attacks on New York City or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, You need a plane. You need a plane to get there. Yeah, what they're worried about is that the Soviets would attack Japan. They they would... Nuclear, they would drop nuclear bombs on Japan in retaliation, and that was the fear. World War Three, boom. Yeah, that 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 was that was the fear. Yeah. Um, so on April eleventh, nineteen fifty one, President Harry S. Truman removes MacArthur from his command for insubordination. Yeah. yeah, he fires, fires him. Um, in an address to Americans that day, the president basically states, and, and I quote, I believe that we must try to limit the war to Korea for these vital reasons, to make sure that the precious lives of our fighting men are not wasted to see that the security of our country and the free world is not needlessly jeopardized and to prevent a third world war. Um, MacArthur's fired, basically. Um, crazy. Crazy. But it's also, this is the thing, MacArthur was such a national hero that this, not that Harry Truman, Truman runs against, because Harry Truman decides he's not going to run yeah, for Yeah, but election. also Harry Truman's public. MacArthur was the more popular of the two. Absolutely. All right. I mean, time. he returns, he literally returns back to the U.S. in April 51 and is honored with parades. Like throughout yeah, cities, yeah. he speaks before a joint session of Congress. Like criticizes Truman's Korean policy out outright on TV, um, and no one's like you know saying anything to him about it, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point that like he's more popular than Truman. Truman chooses not to run for re-election, but this is the end of the Democratic Party in in power for a little bit. And the reason for that is because you know in 1952 you have uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower runs for president on a Republican ticket. And this is kind of interesting as well, because he's kind of, he's going, he's going against Dodge Stevenson and they were like head to head um, in the polls, but then literally two weeks before election, right? Eisenhower flat out says, I will end the war in Korea. I'm going to bring Americans back home. Like at that point, the war's over. I mean, the war, the, the election rather was yeah, over. Because, because everyone trusts Eisenhower. Of course, so he ended World War II. I mean, like, if this guy can't do it, no one can do it. So that that basically yeah. propels him to the White House. And sure enough, I mean, he goes to Korea and he's the one that kind of forces a, a truce talks, even though the truce talks and ceasefire negotiations really started much earlier and they probably went on for most of the war. Um, but it, it basically, you know, it's not until 
Ike becomes president, that it's pushed forward. And obviously, we can't just give everything to Ike. Um, you know, Stalin dies in March of 53. Communists kind of concede on the a little bit. I mean, why would you say it stopped? Because there's no the war never ended, right? I mean, we have to say well, that. technically it's works. It's the fighting stopped, right? The armistice is signed, right, on July 27, 1953. Um, but technically, the war has still been going on. So the war has been going on for over 70 years, 71 years, six months, and four days. So the war is still going on, even though there's yeah. been no fighting. There's been tension and stuff like that. So no peace treaty was ever signed. There was always the assumption there would be a peace treaty. And the two Koreas are technically still at war. This is what's called a frozen conflict. Um, in 2018, the leaders of North and South didn't meet at the DMZ. I and they saw that, yeah. Towards a treaty. Never actually happened. Never, you know, hasn't actually nothing transpired. But really, no, the, really the whole war just kind of stopped. And then a little bit of land did change. The, the the DMV was established right at the 38th parallel. Yep. North Korea did gain a city, the city of Kaesong, but they lose actually more land. They lose about 1,500 square miles all right, to South Korea with this new treaty. So they get smaller. Um, but again, it's it's not much. And it just kind of – it's the DMZ today, which is one of the most heavily militarized zones in the entire world, yeah. right? Yeah. Like if you go there now – what I always found interesting if you watch the documentary, you read up on it, there's actually – a a office building that both sides share and there's a room in that yeah that, that's really, it's so awesome seeing that there's like a and, line drawn through it <laughs> yeah it's also guarded it's yeah. guarded all the time by north korean soldiers and south korean soldiers but because the united states is there too we still have soldiers there they were saying that how um they always put like on the base they always find like the, like the largest american soldier they can find like the tallest one mm-hmm. they always put them on guard duty yeah, I saw that. Because because they're like, you know, they'll be like over six feet tall all the time, like six five even, you know, if you find really big ones. And the North Koreans tend to be smaller, especially as the years have gone on because of malnutrition, which is a whole other thing what's going on in North Korea, right? So they tend to be a little bit – they tend to be on the smaller side. So you have these guys and they say what they do the whole time is they just stare at them. Like the, the American – our soldiers are told you stare them directly in the eyes the whole time, which is very like uncomfortable, they say, for um, the North Koreans because you're not you're not supposed to do that. So yeah. it, again, it's kind of like this one up. This just like trying to just make them as uncomfortable as possible. Well, all the time. just kind of go along with the topic. There are currently, as we speak, right in 2021, 28,500 American troops stationed in South Korea. Yeah, uh, it is actually the U.S. third largest military presence outside of the country, following Japan and Germany. So yeah. how ironic That's is that? Think of World War II and the Korean War. Has to up again. It's yeah. because of the American presence there and all yeah. the landmines. Yep. Japan, Germany, South Korea, 28,500 American troops there right now, which is nuts. But talking about like, you know, this two wide, two mile wide demilitarized zone where most of the Americans are stationed today, um, you know, Armistice 53, this goes on. But when he talks, when you talk about casualties of this war, I mean, there's like 40,000 American soldiers, um, that died in in this Korean yes. action, right? And more than one hundred thousand were wounded, Injured, right? Yeah. Right. So you have Korean War Veterans Memorial near Lincoln Memorial and National Mall. It's a really cool uh, memorial. If anybody ever goes, there's to one Jersey. actually right here in Jersey too on Atlantic City Boardwalk. It is right on, yeah, Atlantic City Boardwalk. I have pictures by that from when I was like younger. Um, but yeah, I mean, forty thousand. How is that a forgotten war? I don't understand. So it's a forgotten war, which is basically from what happened. What? Well, yeah, because Vietnam what happens after. We should do a podcast on Vietnam. 
I'm sure we'll. That would be that. a two-parter. That would have to that's, be a two-parter. That would be a multiple one, yeah. And so that was also a lot of things to do with the POWs. I'm sure you saw a lot of these with both sides. Like I saw that at they, the end, there was like a whole discussion of what do you do with them. Yeah, that, because that's, that's, was that there was they were yeah it was just like with the Geneva Convention, what happens with these, and then like a lot of the um, captured ones from the UN forces, they didn't want to give back. Right, the U.S. military was alarmed for all the atrocities committed against the POWs. Right. The yeah. South Korean government, on the other hand, didn't want to send troops, the Korean troops back because they yeah. they want they said no, they're going to stay here now, you know, because they lost so many people also during this conflict. Because again, if you had a choice between communist or capitalism, a lot of people they're going to go to the capitalist side, the the brain drain, the same thing reason why the Berlin Wall goes up, right? Listen to that podcast that's going on here, right? Uh, they're trying to a little self promotion there. They're trying to you know flee now to the to the south here. North Korea is still in news. Dennis oh, Rodman goes on vacations there. Well, that's an interesting thing. But you know, he doesn't necessarily vacation there. <laughs> I know, right? I know. But if you watch a documentary, you know, it was basically because what? Not Kim Jong-un. What was the one before him? Uh, he liked basketball. He, well, he liked the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. And he wanted Michael Jordan there. And Michael Jordan was like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So they eventually, <laughs> I, there was something I saw where they actually tried to get Steve Kerr there. Obama wanted to send Steve Kerr there. He's played for the Bulls, current coach of the Golden State Warriors. This is basketball, by the way, Peter, in case you're confused. I, I know basketball. It's a sport with the orange ball. But anyway, they wanted him there. The Bulls were really popular. You know, watch, watch the Last Dance documentary. It's interesting. Steve Kerr's like, yeah, no, I'm not going. But eventually they reach out and make contact with Dennis Rodman. He goes, and you watch a documentary on it. It's pretty interesting because he – he wants to open up. He's you know saying this is going to be like peace. It's all about peace and stuff like that. And he's teaching basketball to the North Koreans, and they're learning about. It. And they sell out these arenas. I don't know if they sell them out, but people are forced to go to these arenas. <laughs> right? You have like you know thousands of people there, all you know cheering and watching basketball. Because he was a huge fan. Uh, he's a huge fan of basketball. So needless to say. You have a huge anti-American, you know, feeling. Yeah, in North I mean Korea that's today. a whole other thing. I mean, uh, North Korea was like a hot second away from taking over the entire peninsula, making it just Korea, making it communist, and then the UN, under the guidance of the United States, kind of kills that plan and pushes them back to 30th parallel. And basically, from that point forward, you have some, you know, some some tension and hate towards the United States to this very day. I mean, in North Korea, you actually there's actually a museum of American war atrocities. Like they don't like us, it, you know. We kind of, you know, killed some of their plants for lack of a better word, no pun intended. But also to show you the dis disparity and you know the dichotomy between North and South Korea, you know, if you guys get a chance, just Google the Korean Peninsula at night. Um, yeah. Like NASA has photographs of it. Just Google Korean Peninsula at night, and you'll notice Dark. like. Yep. The darkness in the north. You can, see the parallel. you can actually see it. Yeah, it's insane. Like just looking at that, it, it really truly is. But anyway. But yeah, like I said, there's never been a treaty signed. That's just one of those things. Will there ever be a treaty signed? You always talk about it. They do meet from time to time, but it's also, you know, escalating tension. Every once in a while, you know, South North Korea sends a missile somewhere, right? They talk about <laughs> that. They always do training. Remember, United States goes into near South Korea they on the they border. They do war games training about yeah. – and that's one reason why the U.S. never signed the um, anti-landmine treaty. That other we have too many there. We have too many there. And we, we had a, we, they, they were all placed there to stop the North from invading. Because the North – they wouldn't win a war against the South if the U.S. backed it, right? Yeah. But the North would – because Seoul is so close, they have all this artillery pointed at Seoul – 
it would just be massive casualties. Like it, there was, there's no way to protect it, stop that from happening. And that's the amount of casualties that would be, that would happen instantly, you know, very quickly from the Korean war heating up again. It's just not worth it for either side. Anyway, thank you everyone for tuning in once more to our awesome podcast. I wouldn't say awesome, but thank you nonetheless. It's awesome. We can, it's awesome. We're kidding. We love our podcast. So we really do appreciate it. And if you ever, need to reach us you could do so at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com please feel free to leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast you're on twitter too you can always look for us on twitter. oh yeah yeah we're there we're on facebook we're, we're around we're there it's much easier to reach us than you think it really is i love the ones where sometimes we get the uh you said this happened here but actually happened here and i'm just like i'm so sorry i apologize i don't apologize <laughs> Oh, God. I guess someone's got to be the good cop versus the bad cop. Everyone, enjoy your week. We'll talk to you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.